Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Nikki Vargas is the author of Call You When I Land, a memoir. Originally from Bogota, Colombia, Nikki is the author of the best-selling Call You When I Land, named one of the best women's memoirs of 2023 by Glamour Magazine, selected as a staff pick by Apple Books, and recommended by Good Morning America, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Shondaland, Real Simple, and more. Nikki is the co-author of Wandress, a woman's travel guide available in stores now and featured in Refinery29, Fortune Magazine, and Forbes. 
In addition, Nikki is a senior editor for Fodor's Travel, a legacy travel publication since the 1930s, reaching millions of readers. She is also the founder of Unearth Women, a women's travel publication set on championing women's stories and spotlighting women-owned businesses. She founded Unearth Women back in 2018, taking it from a mere idea to an internationally sold magazine available in over 800 bookstores across the United States and independent bookshops abroad. Nikki's work has been published and celebrated in the New York Times, Good Morning America, CNN, Vogue, Cosmopolitan, The Daily Beast, The Washington Post, Forbes, and more. Beyond her writing, Nikki is a public speaker who has spoken at various travel conferences, including the Women's Travel Fest, Women in Travel Summit, Latino Travel Fest, and more. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Call You When I Land, a memoir. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yay! Tell listeners everything about your book, which is, of course, yourself. Keep going. (laughs) So Call You When I Land is a travel memoir, but there's so much more to it than travel, which I think surprises a lot of readers. It's a love story. It's a story about running away from a wedding last minute. It's a story about chasing a career dream around the world and all the ebbs and flows and highs and lows that come with chasing a career dream. It's a story about coming of age, learning to embrace your own identity, your own heritage. And it's a little bit of a murder mystery, which throws people for a loop, (laughs) but that's in there too. But underneath all of it is travel and this constant thread that kind of ties together this whole sort of tumultuous coming of age journey. So it is a travel memoir. But yeah, there's a lot of storylines in there that make it so much more of an evolution. So let's start with the runaway bride aspect. (laughs) Talk about that and go from there. (laughs) The runaway bride aspect. Uh, The book begins in the jungles of Argentina. You find me a week before my wedding day. And it's this New York wedding that has been planned for months and months and months and months. And I had been taking a backseat to that planning. And there's a lot of avoidance. There's a lot of running away from my life in all the wrong ways. A lot of it is just, you know, youthful naivete, just trying to not take seriously these big decisions I'm making that can come to define my adult life. And so after all of this avoidance and hiding and running away, you find me in the jungles of Argentina as a runaway bride screaming into the trees that I don't want to get married. And the reason I start the book there is because I think that that is really where the transformation begins. And that's sort of the prologue of the book. And then it kind of rewinds and builds back up to that moment of how I got there and what led to that and why was I avoiding it and how I was using travel as a tool of avoidance And then you move past that moment to see what happens next. But the Runaway Bride part of it was absolutely the catalyst for this memoir because it was such an audacious decision at the time and surely one that caused a lot of drama and a lot, a lot of pain. But it ultimately was one that set my life completely on course. And so I think that that was a great part of the book to really pin the transformation to. A lot of people have doubts when they're getting married, right? Or they're getting closer to the date, but maybe the wedding is taking over and, you know, the momentum, like you discussed, is just, it seems like, the you know, hard to 
the cart before the horse. You know what I'm trying? <laughs> the cart is out of control. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're totally both waking up. I get it. Here. I know. It's early. I don't know. I'm like guzzling coffee. Like. I know. I know. I need, that's what I need. I need like my second cup, but it's only nine. So, <laughs> but, but not everyone can make that decision and like slam on the brakes like that. And I know you go through this and how that developed, but if you could say in like a sentence, why could you do that? What what was it about listening to the voice, even at the last second, that you feel like you could do that maybe is hard for other people to do? I think the truth is, to say it as concisely as I can, I had reached the point of no return. There was just no other decision to make. I, for months, had not been listening to my inner voice. I had been really avoiding everything that was going on in my life. Not only this wedding, but the career decisions I was making, everything I was doing, I was doing passively because it felt like that was the thing to do and I should be making others happy. And it reached this point where I could not take another step forward without kind of having this clandestine meeting with myself and figuring out what is it that I want. And that's why I think a lot of people think, you know, did you really scream into the trees? And the answer is yes, I did, because it had built up so much inside me that when I stopped to finally ask myself, okay, what is it you have to say? I didn't think about the answer. I didn't like decide now I shall scream into the trees dramatically. It just flew out of me, these words, because they had been so suppressed. And so there really isn't a magic bullet answer to that question. It really is just, I had pushed myself so, so, so far to the edge that there was nowhere else to go, but to just take that jump and trust myself. Love that. I love that so much. (laughs) So when did you know that travel was like your thing? Oh gosh. Uh, Travel has always sort of been this passion that was cultivated throughout my childhood in the form of family trips. But when I became an adult and in my 20s, I realized that it could become a career. And I became really attached to this idea of being a travel writer. I had always loved writing. I studied journalism. I had this passion for writing since I was a kid. And when I learned that there's a career that combines those two passions, I was just gone. And that really becomes a lot of pressure on that relationship that ultimately becomes the marriage I walk away from. This idea that I'm trying to chase my dreams literally around the world because I'm trying to be a travel writer and I'm trying to go to the farthest flung places on earth to get these compelling stories. And it starts to really rub up against this life I built on New York with this man who's like fell in love with me at a certain point when I wasn't an adult, really. I mean, I was an adult, but <laughs> when I was just, you know, when fresh I was out of 12, college. I first got engaged. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, let me correct that statement <laughs> real fast. <laughs> but, you know, when you enter your 20s, you're so different than who you are when you exit them. And there's so much growth and evolution in this time period, arguably more so than in other decades of your life. Mm-hmm. And so I really really, really wanted to try to convey that in the book, this massive amount of just transformation happening in this short period of time. 
Don't they say that your brain isn't even fully formed until you're 25? Yeah. Something like that. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And yet we're all making these like major life decisions. I had friends who like got engaged in college, not, not friends, plural. Okay. One person I knew. Well, I didn't even really know her. She was friends with a friend of mine, but, but even still she was 21 (laughs) years old and I'm like, how, how can you possibly know? Right. How, I mean, it's impossible. No, but you're absolutely right. And I think it's a, you know, when I look back at that time period and I look back at how I was taking these major decisions in stride, moving in with someone, choosing career paths, like choosing a future husband, discussing the idea of kids. Like when I look back at it and I see where I was mentally at that point in time, it seems almost laughable that I was just so cavalier about these decisions. I was making them the way I would make like, yeah, we'll go there for brunch. It was like, whatever. Yeah, it'll be fine. I'll figure it out (laughs) along the way. And now I'm now 36 years old, it's very different. And every decision I make is so intentional. And there's a lot of mindfulness behind those choices. And there's a level of sort of carefree spontaneity that doesn't happen anymore that did when I was in my 20s. And I have to say at the end of the day, for as messy and audacious and and quite honestly, just all over the place that I was in my 20s, I'm glad I was that way because those giant swings got me to where I needed to go. I feel like we can all look back. I mean, now that I'm at the wise old age of 47, we can all like look back and say like, okay, that was so stressful. And I felt like that was a mistake at the time, but it all made sense because it led up to now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it doesn't always work out. Okay. So talk to me, talk to me more about travel writing and how you build a career as a travel writer. And what do you need? Like, I'm not sure I'm the best traveler. Like I only liked, I'm very picky about where I stay, very picky about what I eat. Like I don't like major routine disruptions. Like I probably am not the best travel writer unless, unless I only get to pick my spot. (laughs) So what are some of the secrets of great travel writing? Who are people you look up to as travel writers? And how did you forge your way into that field? Oh, gosh. I mean, when I set out to be a travel writer, it was at the time that the world of blogging was really rising up and it was piercing the pop culture fabric. So now you were seeing things like the White House blog and and news sources referencing blogs. So it was really this new wave of writing And all of that is to say that when I graduated journalism school, there were really no jobs to be had. And I decided if you can't beat them, join them. So I started a travel blog. And the hope for this travel blog was that it would allow me to build up this portfolio of writing and eventually kind of kick my foot into the door and get in the industry. But I really went about it a roundabout way. It took me most of my 20s to get to that point of becoming an on-staff travel writer and editor for a publication. And in the time that it took me to get there, it really was about press trips. And this is something that I'm very honest about in the book. And I try to demystify because for people who are not in my industry, the first question that comes to mind is how, how, were you going to Borneo and how Mm -hmm. were you just running away to Buenos Aires? You know, like how lavish. And the answer is press trips. Press trips is one of the most fantastic parts of our job, which is to say we have the ability to go on these 
free trips by virtue of being travel writers, whether we're hosted by tourism boards or hotel brands or whatever it is, it's really a tit for tat arrangement. They invite writers out to cover their destination or hotel. We write stories that feature said destination and hotel. And it's just a very like a symbiotic relationship. So when I was trying to be a travel writer and instead I became a travel blogger, I had stumbled into this world of trips, creator trips, press trips, influencer trips. And it allowed me to see the world at that age on an entry-level salary with no savings, living in an apartment on 79th and 2nd that I could not afford. And I took those trips and eventually were able to parlay them into stories, which led eventually to my first on-staff job. So it was a really kind of cobbled together roundabout way that took a long time, but eventually I did become a travel writer. But to answer the other part of your question, travel writing to me, I think, is I love the writing that's a beautiful blend of personal narrative while also acknowledging the destination. And I think sometimes it leans too much on one side or the other, where you get people kind of rehashing their emotions in the presence of a beautiful place, but you don't know anything about the place. And I love the writing that pairs the two. And an example would be the late and great Anthony Bourdain. Outside of his television work, he was a phenomenal writer. And his book, A Cook's Tour, one of his early books, he had such an incredible power to draw you into a destination, connect you to a destination, not only in the sights and sounds, but the history and the culture, and then also reveal some of his own emotional turmoil while in that destination. And that is something I really tried to channel and call you when I land. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Amazing. <laughs> I listened to No Reservations. Isn't that what it's called? I've listened to it on audio. Yeah. It's an audiobook. My husband on like a long drive. It's amazing. It is. Oh, he was great. Yeah, he was a... He was a lot of things. He was certainly, you know, he he had his faults, but at the end of the day, he was an undeniably great writer. <laughs> Tell me about writing this book. 
what was this process like? How long did it take? Did you always know, like, when did you know you were going to write a memoir? And then how did you structure it? Like, did you enjoy writing it? Just tell me all about (laughs) the writing. Well, the structure I really love. So the book is divided into three parts. Part one is turbulence. They're all kind of aviation travel. So part one, turbulence, as it suggests, all the chapters in it are very turbulent. It's meant to feel almost uncomfortable to the reader because I'm really drawing you into my mistakes and kind of what I'm just trying to figure out. And then that eventually gives way to changing pitch. And that is an aviation term for when an airplane essentially the nose of an airplane kind of adjusts up and down, ultimately sort of shifting direction of flight. And so all the chapters in part two of changing pitch are exactly that. It's sort of figuring it out, trying to find that equilibrium, kind of like redefining my life. And then obviously gets into landing, self-explanatory. You're kind of like coming in at a landing and coming in on resolution. (laughs) So I really always had the idea of structuring it in these like three buckets And the way the chapters are written, they are written in a very sort of chronological linear way, but they're almost written like vignettes. It's almost like flashes in time. And each one is sort of rooted in a place. And there were so many more trips I could have put in this book, but I intentionally wanted to choose trips where there was some level of epiphany or transformation that kind of moved the story along. And uh, as much as I would have loved to just write about myself drinking margaritas in Mexico, (laughs) I'm sure people just want to get to the good stuff. So there are some trips that didn't make the cut. But all in all, I always had an idea for how I wanted this book to be. And I knew I wanted to start it in the jungles of Argentina. I knew I wanted to sort of trace this evolution through my 20s. And it was cathartic. To write, which I'm sure you hear a lot when you talk to people who've written memoirs. <laughs> it was difficult for sure. But I think what surprised me the most is that the parts that were difficult, writing about the wedding was actually the easiest part because it was so long ago and there was so much time between that. The part that was the hardest was writing about Unearthed Women. For those listening, Unearthed Women was this woman's magazine I started in 2018 out of the depths of unemployment. I mean, truly, it is not an exaggeration to say (laughs) I was just drinking wine in my pajamas (laughs) on a weeknight and thought to myself, I should start a woman's magazine and then ran with it. And within a year- I can totally relate to that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I like to think of things, yes. As most great ideas begin, you know, (laughs) a glass of wine in the middle of the night, But it had this meteoric rise and it went from that idea born from the bottom of a glass of wine to becoming a magazine sold in over 800 Barnes & Noble bookstores across the country. And then it very promptly kind of fell. We had to fold the print magazine. And that was the most difficult part of the book for me to write because I realized it's still so present and there's still a level of unfolding I'm working with Unearth Woman. But it was it was a lot of fun. I'll tell you what, there were a lot of dirty martinis that I had in the process of writing this book. <laughs> I love it. We could the subtitle is Call You When I Land from Wine on the Couch 
to dirty martinis. Yes. yes <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Spoiler alert. My now husband, <laughs> he would come home sometimes. And I remember one like memory, he came home and I'm like, I have my hair in a messy bun. I'm in pajamas. I'm all like, you know, hunched at the computer, like typing maniacally, have this like dirty martini in my hand and I'm crying. And he comes in and he's like, my God, what happened? And I'm like, this is the scene where I say bye to like, and Alex was my ex-fiance, my ex-fiance. And he's like, okay. (laughs) But it's like that level of like having to sort of, in a way, kind of shed dignity so you can really just let loose on the page and kind of drop that barrier. It's such a fun creative process, I have to say, (laughs) as you well know. (laughs) What? contributed to the downfall of the magazine or the success? Well, I think the success came from the magazine being introduced at a moment in time where it was it was sort of around that kind of cultural moment of Me Too, around sort of Time's Up, where you're getting a lot of sort of overdue support for women and particularly women-led initiatives. And Unearth Woman was kind of sticking a flag in the travel media industry, which at that point was so largely male-dominated, and saying, here's a magazine for women who make more than 70% of travel decisions but are often overlooked. Here's a magazine just for you. And we're not only going to give you tips on how to travel and really nuanced, thoughtful tips but we're also going to share stories about women doing incredible things around the world. And it's not going to be a novelty. It's just going to be great stories. And I think it just kind of flew on the wings of that moment. And ultimately what led to it folding is what leads to every print magazine folding right now. It's just, there's not enough demand for print and everything's shifting to digital and it does still exist digitally. Unearth Woman is unearthwoman.com now, but the magazine, I always, I just loved the magazine so much. I had such a, just, it just meant so much to me that it existed in the world as this tangible object, that it was in bookstores next to afar and travel and leisure to lose that was a, I say it in the book, killing your darlings. It really was a killing of my darling to give up that magazine. Well, it's interesting to talk about this because we have this magazine called Zibby Mag and I really want it to be print, even though <laughs> obviously everything is going in the wrong direction. I feel like I keep leading my businesses in all of the ways where everyone's like, <laughs> okay, bookstores, dying, but magazine, what are you doing? You're like going backwards. But <laughs> I love it though. It's totally different. Like I love when the magazines come that I love and I like yeah. save them for a time when I can like go through them. It's it's not the same thing when I'm just like scrolling through articles. What I will say about Zibby Mag, which I actually am familiar with Zibby. I'm familiar with everything you're doing in this space because I think it's so amazing. But for Zibby Mag, what I will say is that take my lesson and learn from me. Okay. Because what I learned with Unearth Woman Magazine was that we were trying to do it at the time quarterly. And Mm -hmm. I wish that I had scaled back. I wish that I had allowed myself time to kind of like breathe in between issues. And instead, I just kept pushing, 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 pushing because I was afraid that somebody else would swoop in and kind of like 
step on our toes and take that opportunity Mm -hmm. away. And in retrospect, what I now realize is that if I had scaled back, if I had done maybe two issues a year and done it more thoughtfully, targeted the New York market as opposed to just immediately go across the country where people haven't even heard of it, if I had been Mm -hmm. slower and more intentional, who knows what would have been. So I don't think that it's impossible to have an indie magazine. I actually think that there's a real renaissance of indie magazines right now, but I think it has to be slow. It's very like slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> I don't like slow. I'm not good at that. Yeah, neither am I, obviously. Well, are, I know, I'm like, you aren't either. You know. Like slow and steady, what race? I know, you're, you're my soul sister here. We're the same. I know. I know. <laughs> Do you have plans for more books? What do you think? Yes, I am in the very early stages of writing my third book, which will be fiction. But true to form, it will be very (laughs) rooted in reality. (laughs) I'm a little nervous about it, I will say, because everything I've ever written is nonfiction. Because keep in mind, you know, I am a journalist, my background is travel journalism. I'm now a travel editor at Fodor's Travel. I'm a senior editor there. So everything I do, everything that I've done, what pays the bills is nonfiction writing. So I am both nervous and thrilled for this opportunity to try my hand at fiction. This book, next book, will be very different, which I am very much looking forward to. (laughs) Wow. Well, I wrote a novel after only writing nonfiction my entire life, basically. And it was, for me, I felt like I had to write many novels to figure out how to write a novel. I love that. I couldn't yeah. just like do it once. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got this like over and over and over again. And I how did you find that initial switch from nonfiction to fiction? Like, was it very jarring? Well, at first I was like, this is basically a memoir, but I'm making it fiction. But then I moved into like, actually I'm trying to write a novel, but it's still hard. I mean, it's still hard. I'm trying <laughs> again now. It's like, I don't know. I'm still, every time I'm like, I don't know. Can I do this? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm very much in that same headspace. You know, I think how I'm finding it is that I find myself writing nonfiction (laughs) and then being like, wait, I could take liberties with this. I don't have to be like, so to the book and to the letter, like I can change these details. I can play this up. I can add this dialogue. I can switch this location. And so that's very freeing Mm -hmm. because obviously with memoir, you can't do that. (laughs) So I do enjoy the liberties, but my nature is to definitely stick to nonfiction. So I have to keep reminding myself, like add, embellish, have fun. You You don't have to color within the lines. (laughs) Like we need to have a coffee and discuss this a little bit more. Oh, I would love it. One, One sentence advice for aspiring authors. Take notes. Always take notes throughout your life. Honest, even if you... Don't have a book idea in mind. Even if you're not even sure you want to write a book, capture moments, write down anything that inspires you. Keep journals if that's you. Just take notes. One of the biggest things that helped me in writing Call You When I Land and retracing my life over the past 10 years was the fact that I had old journals. I had old notes. I had maps that Mm -hmm. I had written notes on about places I had been to when I was in Vietnam. And I was able to cobble together all of this material and bring myself back to these moments and retrace steps 
and remember the name of that hostel in Hanoi that I had stayed at and then look on a map and find the place where I ate that banh mi sandwich. And at the time, I had no idea that I would write a book. I wasn't doing it for a story. I was just doing it for myself and if future family members wanted to go to Hanoi and try that restaurant. And now I see the value in that. So my biggest piece of advice is keep track of things, write it down. If you're in a market in Europe, jot down a sentence of what it smells like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, because it will bring you back and jog your memory in such a useful way. Amazing. Nikki, thank you so much. Call you in. I land. Congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. My (laughs) pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.